morning as we're going over the life of Joseph, a life that is probably one of, you know, sometimes you're asked, what's your favorite Bible character or who do you love? Listen, it's hard to beat Joseph, isn't it? I love the study. I'm not biased because my name is Joseph, right? But anyway, bottom line is, well, you can't name a bad Joseph in the Bible. Joseph in Genesis, Joseph Arimathea, Joseph uh, Mary's husband, Joseph, who the disciples named Barnabas. That's pretty good. I'm the only one that broke the chain. But anyway, I'm not in the Bible either. Listen, some people call it fate. Many people in our world depend on fate. I guess there's a humorous look at that. And we think of some of the different quotes we have about fate. I've got one here somewhere. Yes. Uh, it's right here. Man blames fate for other accidents, but feels personally responsible when he makes a hole in one. Anyone here ever make a hole in one? Am I? There's one. I have. Putt-putt's fun, isn't it? I really like that. Uh, I've never made one in the other thing. I've, uh, I actually came close by accident one time, truthfully, on a par three. I've only played three times in my life, but the people behind us after I hit that shot, probably the only good shot I hit all day with a group of real golfers said, that's how you do it. <laughs> I didn't say a word. I just went right to the green there. And Anyway, it's not how you do it. Bottom line is today's message has a lot to do with how you determine what is happening to you. So I put the question out there. It's a motif for the whole message. How do you determine what is happening to you? Stay with me as we go over that motif today and look at the life of Joseph. In Genesis 37:20b, it says, Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When we left off last week, that's where we left off in verse 20b. In other words, bring up that next slide. You see, I want to see what's, what's going to happen. Now that we're going to kill him, they sarcastically say, now what's going to happen to him? Period. Dear friend, when you leave God out of the equation, when you leave God out, you have missed the whole thing. That's why I say the motif of this, how do you determine what happens to you? Is all through this message in Psalm uh, chapter 2, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Why do the nations conspire? And the people's plot, what's the next two words? In vain. The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. Let's get, listen, today if there's ever a motif for a message today, the passage right there. Let's break off the chains of the moral codes of the things that the Bible talks about. Let's throw off the fetters that keep our feet from going where we want to go. We want to do whatever we want to do. And so we're going to do it. We're going to make a better world, a mentally healthier world, a physically healthier world. How is that working? Not too well, in my opinion. It says the one enthroned in heaven. You ever wondered and asked yourself, does God laugh? I've had children ask me a lot of times, Dr. Joe, does God laugh? Look right here. Yes, he made us, didn't he? Thank you. I heard a yes out there. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. 
the Lord scoffs at them. Do you really think you're going to thwart the plans of God? Do you really think you can run uh, an end around and kind of just dodge the plans of God? God has a great plan for your life. And God wants you to determine what is happening in your life through what he wants to do in your life, not through something you can just merely see. God does laugh. I want you to see from verse 20b, then we'll see what happens to that dreamer. Look at the very next verse. And by the way, when you're looking through the Bible, always look at the context. It will tell you a lot about the content. The very set, what's going to happen to him now? We're going to kill him. Look at the next verse. When Reuben heard this, one of the brothers that was set to kill them, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. And so it looks like at this point, somebody within those brothers is starting to think, man, this is a really awful thing. Are you kidding me? We're going to kill our own brother. So Reuben gets this plan. And if you were just to read and stop right there, you'd say, wow, this is really good. Look what God has done. And we can see sometime, bring that next slide up. Thank you. The providential interference of God through Reuben turned this murderous plot into something that would become the seemingly impossible. And so sometimes you and I are in the midst of something. It looks like this is really, how can this be fixed? Are you kidding me? There's no way out of this thing. But I want to submit to you today that amongst some of the plans of life, there's lots of Rubens. But ultimately, it's not even that plan. We'll look at that a little bit. But I ask you today, how do you determine what is happening to you? What is it about? So God has this wonderful providential action take place in his life where Reuben interferes. They're ready to kill him. He interferes. Bring up the next slide. Thank you. It says in verses 23 and 24, and by the way, that was right after they're going to kill him, right? So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. Notice the word of God puts that right in there first. What was first and foremost on their mind? The jealousy that raged inside of them. Joseph gets the coat, that is the coat of honor, the pos, the ornamented one to go to the palms of the hands and to the soles of the feet. He gets that one. And it's probably variegated in some ways with different cloth or different nap in it. But it's this thing that means there's royalty. You don't work. The richly ornamented robe he was wearing, they get it and they take it off of him. First and foremost on their mind. Wasn't Joseph's fault his father gave him that. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now, the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. So these cisterns exist in desert places oftentimes, and when it does rain, they'll gather some water. You can have places where nomadic people can stop or was known in that place. There's a cistern here. This one happened to be in part of the dry season. There's no water in it. They're deep. They're dug in there, and often you cannot climb out without any help. So that's the problem that we see happening right here. They strip him of his robe. And of course, um, we can see from this 
that there's a problem taking place here. It's not enough for the brothers to physically hurt Joseph. They added insult to injury. The word of God doesn't tell us what they say when they're taking the robe from him, but I'm sure they had some things to say to their brother. The word of God doesn't tell us every word, every sentence, every thought that's taken place, but you can imagine, since this was the first thing, get it, pull it from him. No doubt they pulled it right off of him and seek to humiliate their brother. It's unbelievable, isn't it? We see in Zechariah 9:11, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Interesting, isn't it? You realize all of us were in a waterless pit, the pit of sin, the pit of having our sins separated from God forever. But you see, the word of God talks about the blood of my covenant. In the Old Testament, blood was used to really ratify a contract, much like when you go and you decide you have to have that car and you get that one and you go to figure out all the paperwork. They say, you're not even going to believe it. You're going to have birthdays for 84 months with this vehicle. Every month you're going to get this wonderful book and you send in the payment, right? And you sign, you sign on the dotted line so that if you don't make these payments, they're coming back with a truck to take your vehicle away. So that's a contract for us and in that sense. But in the Old Testament, it was a contract by blood. They had this typology all through Jewish history, all through Israel's history. The sacrificial animal was a temporary covering of sin, ratified with this blood. Now, when Christ hung on the cross, he brought a new covenant. His blood ratified the contract forever that he had. When you put your faith and trust in what he has done, his blood, the covering for sin, blood meant it's the life of the bodies in the blood. Jesus gave his life for you and for me, came out of the tomb three days later, and he ratified that contract with us. My blood paid the price for you. His signature that he confirmed that I have signed a contract for you with my very life, if you will receive it. And you ratify the contract on your part by receiving what he has said. Those are the terms. You can't come to heaven on your terms. You can't come to heaven by trying to be a good person and earn your way to heaven. You come on my terms receiving grace, undeserved mercy, by receiving something that you didn't earn that I give to you. Then you serve me out of love and out of thanksgiving. And so we see... The Word of God is filled with typologies all throughout. They find, we find that they strip him of this robe, this jealousy, they pull it off. They wanted to hurt him, not only physically, they wanted to humiliate him. And they strip it off him. It uses that particular word there, because there's other words in the Hebrew for taking something off. But it gives the idea that it was a stripping of this robe, bringing hate upon him. And ultimately, what they have to tell their father. Next slide. Thank you. And so as we go along, we see in verse 25, and they sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. They were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Very interesting that we have this caravan going down there at this exact time. By the way, the brothers should have been sitting down weeping and repenting. I've noticed many times when I'm in an ICU unit or when there's a tragedy that's happened in the family, notice they're not getting something to eat. They're filled with remorse. They're filled with pain. 
there's not much remorse or pain or repentance on the part of these brothers. They sit down to eat their meal. No doubt they're talking about all kinds of things there. And at that time, when all this is taking place, after these Ishmaelites have traveled, no doubt, hundreds of miles with these spices. And by the way, we have historical information, not just biblically, but also from secular history. Homer and Herodotus tell us about all the physicians and the physician stations that were extant in Egypt at this time. Many practicing all kinds of medicines and all the embalming things they would do with these things. They brought tremendous money. That's why people would travel all this distance. These caravans were traveling sometimes well over a thousand miles bringing these very expensive spices and bombs and all these kinds of things to Egypt. And so we can see as we look at this that there's some incredible things happening. They sit down to eat their meal. Amos 6.6 6 tells us, You drank wine by the bowlful and used the finest lotions, but you did not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. What's missing so many times is grieving over some of the, our own sinfulness and grieve over what takes place in life. But you see, what prevents that oftentimes is this callousness of sin. It's going to happen to this dreamer now. Now what's going to happen to your dreams? You think you're going to have us bow down to you when you're dead? You think you're going to bow down to us when we throw you in a cistern? And you see, we're, we're, it looks merciful, doesn't it? Don't do it. We don't want to shed his blood. We'll just let you starve and thirst to death inside of that thing. We'll let day and night go by in the blackness of night that you sit there trying to perhaps even suck on dirt to get something out of it until you die in that cistern. We didn't shed his blood. We made it a lesser sin, you see. It was merciful. No, it wasn't. What a sham. I'm glad, though, that Reuben thinks about this to put him there. But even that plan... It's going to get thwarted, isn't it? Beware of callousness of sin. Beware of it. It'll wear on your hand. It'll wear on your heart and cause you to not give the mercy that's sometimes needed or the thought you need to have it. Word of God says they looked up and saw a caravan and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Impeccable timing. When you think about God's providence, and I ask again the question, how do you determine what is happening to you? At this moment of these people having traveled already, no doubt, hundreds of miles using animals and foot, to meet at this intersection at this exact time is pretty crazy, isn't it? How do you determine what's happening to you? You see, in God's impeccable timing, he brings this caravan there because it looks like at, as you're going through this particular narrative, Joseph's going to get killed. And you say, no, they're not going to stab him or murder him that way. They're going to throw him in a cistern, but his brother has a plan. He's going to get rescued. No, he's not. Now the next plan comes up. And so it's true to life, isn't it? It zigs and zags and turns. How do you determine what is happening to you? Impeccable timing. God is working in the lives of people with providential timing that's beyond comprehension. Years ago, when I struggled through life and wondered what life was all about, as we do when we get adolescent age, begin to think about it, and you can run and try and find answers to life, and I did. 
I tried to find them in myself. It brought me temporary happiness, but not lasting happiness. Because any time you go forward to try and fill your life with stuff or fame or whatever that is, at whatever level you're at, it doesn't last, does it? I'll highlight that in a few minutes even more beyond my life. But I'm just saying I came to the end of myself. Is this all there is to life? And I remember lying in my bed, and I've shared this before, having been out all night and just looking out my window in Miami, Florida, saying, is this it? Because if it is, God, I really hate you. Everyone's saying, right, every religion, every worldview, every, everyone's saying, what's right? Why'd you leave us down here like this? I hate you, God, and I wish, if you were real, I wish you'd appear so I could smack you and spit in your face. I'm just, I'm being transparent and honest with you. It was the only, it was the first real prayer I ever prayed. I had prayed made up prayers before that. It was the first real prayer, and I meant it. You see, God says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That means that more than just a drink of water, if you were dying and you needed one glass of water or you wanted truth, you'd say, I'm going to choose truth and die. I want to die with the truth. I live for the truth. What is the truth of the universe? It was one week later after I said that prayer, but I stood up and said, God, but if you're real, I want to know you. It was one week later to the day that I met some people by impeccable timing on the Miracle Mile in Coral Gables, Florida. You see, my boss called me three times that day to go in and get some surveys. My job back then, every single man's dream at college age, was a job interviewing single working girls and give them perfume, right? Pretty good job, right? Even God was taking care of me even back then, wasn't he? But my boss called, and we used to get surveys. We'd give them perfume. We'd give them to people, and they'd sell them different items that, you know, all kinds of silver and china, blah, 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 whatever. All I had to do was get names and addresses. Taking someone calling you, they have another gift for you. Yeah, sure. Easy job. My boss called me. I'd been out all night. He called and said, Joe, I need you to get in. We're, we're out of surveys. Need more. I said, I can't. Call so-and-so. I can't because I just got in, and I was exhausted. He calls back in five minutes. He can't come in. I need you to get in. We need these things. I said, then call so-and-so. He calls so-and-so. He can't do it. He calls back the third time. He said, you either get those things or you're fired. He said, I'm going. (laughs) It was there with all these people getting out at lunchtime that I met in the middle of these crowds on both sides of the street. I remember crossing the street in the middle of a crowd of about 30, 30 women that were walking down the street. These two women I happened to see gave the survey. Then they asked me about my soul after that and stayed their whole lunch hour talking to me about Jesus Christ. It was one month later upon that initial conversation and their follow-up in my life at the University of Miami, hearing some athletes speak, hearing some marine biologists speak about the voracious nature, the historicity of the Bible, all those kinds of things. I went back to my room. A month later, after attending their evening service, having had the pastor share the plan of salvation, which I shared a few minutes ago, God's grace receiving the gift of eternal life, I prayed to receive Christ in my bed. There's, the story is, has way more details to it. I'm telling you, though, in the impe- impeccable timing of God, God's still working today. And he's working out in that parking lot. He's working getting you here today. He's working with you even listening today. Because you have to answer the question, how do you determine what is happening in your life? Is it a hole-in-one because of your personal ability? How do you determine, is it fate or is it God? 
Is it cooperating with God or not cooperating with God? How do you determine it? Bring up the next slide. It says in verse 26 of Genesis 37, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? What a great thing to say anytime you're waiting to sin or think about sinning. What will I gain if I do that? I wish David had said that, so does he. Before he cast his eye in the wrong place, when kings go to war, David didn't go. He made a poor choice, cast his eye down on that balcony and saw one more thing. He already had everything he could want. But you know what he wanted? Just one more thing. One more. Has a man killed? Has a baby with that woman? Do you want to read about depression and hurt and despair? Read what David has to say as a result of that sin. And the child gets taken from her. You want to read about despair and hurt and problems that, re- that come out of these issues of poor decisions? Look at Samson. What did he gain? What will I gain? You know what Samson gained? He gained his eyes being gouged out. That's what he gained. Lost a whole lot of ministry. Yes, he went out with a, a bang, but a whole lot of ministry lost. What did the ten spies gain? We can't go and take the land. You see, well, what was their sin, Pastor? They were disobeying God. It's the sin of unbelief. One of the worst sins there is, the sin of unbelief. And they lead the people. Their sin leads that and hundreds of thousands of people to die in a scorpion, rock-dried, sandy desert of garbage. What will I gain if I do this thing? Wow. Great thing to ask ourselves in God's timing We should ask God, what is it that you want, God? Don't die in some wilderness. Don't bring more hurt on yourself you can ever imagine. Verses 27 and 28, word of God goes on. Come, let's sell him to Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother. How pathetic is that? We'll just sell him into slavery, right? We won't do this horrible sin. Let's be good guys. We'll only sell our brother to the pagan land into slavery. And by the way, parenthetically, let me say this. And who's going to bow down to a slave? Then what will come to his dreams? Who's going to bow down to the slave? And he's going to be so far away. I'll show you how far away in a map shortly. And so... He's our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, the brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. They sold their own flesh and blood. Bring up the next slide. It's interesting when you see some of the analogies. There's some great analogies with Joseph and Jesus Christ, the typology of Joseph. I want you to see. Sold him for 20 shekels of silver. Jesus brought only a little more. He was sold by another Judah years later for 30 pieces of silver. And the Ishmaelites, by as the brothers traded him and made this deal, and they were probably going back and forth this much, this much, this much, the degree on 20. They couldn't have known the treasure they were carrying into Egypt, could they? They had something so far more valuable than all these very, very price expensive spices and things incredibly they didn't know the treasure they were carrying because god was in the midst of that treasure dear friend 
Do you realize right now you may be carrying some treasure? You don't know what's going to happen with it. It may look like the slave. It may look like it's not going to amount to anything except a little bit of profit. But God has better plans than that. Some of your children, your grandchildren, the students you're sitting next to, a professor that may be in your university or your high school, a co-worker, a neighbor, you don't know what treasure you're carrying along with you. How do you determine what is happening to you? Do you look with eyes of faith and say, wow, God, I may be carrying some valuable treasure along here. Let me treat everyone that way. I don't know what you're going to do with this person. It looks hopeless. There was a time, I got to tell you, I looked really hopeless to some people witnessing to me. I just told them, listen, you're, God bless you. You're so stupid, I can't even believe it. You know? You know what? I was the one that was stupid. Ishmaelites couldn't have known what they were carrying, but they're carrying credible treasure all the way to a place where God's providence was working. Never negate God's providence working in your life, even though it looks like this can't be right. This cannot be right. Listen, you want to know how you can know what really good is? You have to know what really bad is, don't you? Trust me. You're looking at someone that resigned a vocational ministry position 2,000 miles away from home with a toddler and an expectant wife with no job in sight. Resigned on this two-week notice. I eat two weeks of pay in one week, so it didn't even matter too much, right? When you look at God's divine care and how he works in the lives of people, I said, God, I know what bad... If that's, if, if that's what's going to determine what a church is, kids clapping when the movie ends and being yelled at for... for Clapping in God's house, of which I replied, I think I've told you before many times, God doesn't live in this dump, right? That was our million-dollar youth edition. Or, pastor, you're going to have to meet with the deacons because you were working on your roof before the service. You were working on Sunday, to which I replied to that person, I work every Sunday. After I preached in the morning and went to four nursing homes, getting back to preach that night, and I determined in my heart, God, if you ever give me the opportunity to lead, I know what really bad is. And we're not going to get everything right because I'm a human being, but I got to tell you, we're going to get the main thing right. We're going to get that. If we can't love one another and focus on the main things, I don't want to do it. And I said to that man that night, I'll go shovel horse manure. I think I used the word manure. I'm not even sure at that time. I was mad. I'm not sure what word I used. I'm going to go do that, but I'm not doing this. And as people say, did you give up on God? I haven't given up on God. I just don't like the system. I want to deal with what's real and what's right. I want to see God really work. When I saw kids get on a bus that had one parent or no parent in a home out of substance abuse homes and get there and be told some of the things they were told, I said, no, Nope. So a lot of who I am got formulated out of mostly failure, heartache, discouragement, pain, suffering, stupidity, all of that. But I got to tell you, I know something about treasure. And I look at things vastly different, and I pray you do too, and I'm sure that most of you do. 
Look for God's providential care as he shows you and makes you what you are today by some of the pain, suffering, disillusionment you have seen in your life. Look at the map. This is how bizarre this meeting is. Out of all this world here, there's some brothers that are in this little town up here, Dothan. It happens to be along the trade route, the Via Mars that goes along the way of the water all the way to Egypt. At this impeccable timing where it looks like it's over for Joseph. The jealousy, the callous heart, all the issues that existed, they're going to slay him. Then they throw him in a well, we'll let him just die in there. But then they said, let's sell him. Let's get some money out of this thing. We'll be good guys. And so at that point, because the caravan's coming, they could see, they said, let's sell him. And they do. That's here. You know how far this is? Just from here to here. It looks, well, on the map, doesn't look but about, you know, 20 feet. It's like uh, 1,100 kilometers, maybe 650, 700 miles to go all the way from here. So Joseph's on this long, 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 all the way down here. But I think by the time he even gets there and they get sold, whatever's left of him, he's gone. It's all over. God, in the intersection of the plans of man, the deceit, the hurt, the heartache, has a caravan at just the right time that was willing to buy him. And they did. And that's where they end up all the way down here in this place. How could those guys have even known the treasure they were carrying that day? They saw it just as money. They saw it just as profit. Some of you are carrying along treasure in classes, workplaces, and neighborhoods that beyond your comprehension that you're already building something into those people even to this day. Genesis 37, 29, and 30. It says, when Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? See, Reuben, as the elder statesman, was going to be the one that dad was going to look in his face and say, where's Joseph? Where's Joseph? And Reuben is eaten up. The boy isn't there can I turn to now? What am I going to do? It's going to be me that has to answer for that mess. Wow. You see, Joseph could have been spared by his brothers and Reuben's plan because it looked like a pretty good plan. Reuben was going to return later, pull him out of the cistern, bring him back to his father. I'm sure Jacob, i.e. Israel, would, would be kind of upset. You were going to what? Kill your brother? He would have been quite upset. But you see, when you're reading it, that looks like the great plan. And it was a good, it was God bless him. But that's not what was to happen. Sometimes something may get jerked out of your hand. You say, God, I thought I was going to have that. Now look, now look what happened. It looked like you were going to bring this and it didn't happen. But God has something else that's even better. See, if he'd gone back to his father, what would happen to those Millions of people that would be starving a short time from then. You see, but more injustice and afflictions were yet to come Joseph's way. So this message isn't about, see, God providentially works and nothing ever happens in your life. You'll be okay. No, Joseph had treachery to come into his life. He had imprisonment. He had people knifing him in the back figuratively. He had more to come. Plus, he had to make that big journey as a slave. And have someone to bid on him and buy him. 
But you see, one plan got thwarted. We think, God, this, that would have been a great, a great thing. But God, you see, I'm sold. I'm a slave. And this guy will never rule over us. What looks impossible to you? How do you determine right now what's happening to you? This unjust thing. And it may be unjust. God intended to accomplish even greater things. So what I want to say to you is this message comes to a close today. How do you determine what's happening to you? God has some greater things to accomplish than you and I can see. Because his brothers, Joseph himself, the Ishmaelite traders, all the whole history of that, God had some greater things to accomplish, and none of them could see it. But God could. God could see it. God has a way of working that few people can... Who can figure that out? Where does that come from? He works in such crazy ways. We don't know. I don't know. And you don't know. But we know he is working. That song, God's working, he's still working. As pastors come forward today, there's an opportunity for you to determine some things. Because some of you right now, and I want to minimize what's happening in your life, there's people in this room that are waiting on biopsy results. There's people in this room that have had their heart hurt because a relationship dissolved on them in some way, shape, or form, either marital or dating or friendship. There's people in this room that have lost their job or tried to get one that they thought they would get and didn't get it. The world is filled with all kinds of disappointment. And if you just read it through human eyes, you can become sorely disappointed with God. Where was God? I wanted that class. I didn't get it. I wanted to date him, her. I wanted to be with that person. I wanted that promotion. I wanted this to happen. Why was I born this way? Why do these people are getting in front of me? What's wrong with me? Here's the answer to that. What's right with God? No one knows you better, friend, than God does, and he will take care of you. But you first have to come on his terms and trust him. How do you determine what happens to you? God has some greater things to accomplish through you. Find rest in it. Embrace what's going on. I'm not saying don't strive for some change where you need that. We all need that. But as you look, make sure you check a jealous heart, a calloused heart. Make sure you ask, what will I gain by this if I try and help God with this? I'm just going to help a little bit. Do and practice due diligence. But if right now you'd like to pray with someone because there's some things in your life that have just been hard to deal with, we want to pray with you. Our deacons or pastors, you come forward. Today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, It is God's way through his love and care for you. He loved you more than even you love yourself. Where he came to this earth and bled and died. He took the punishment for my sin and for yours. We're sinners. He took our punishment, bled and died and rose from the grave. Three days later, and offers eternal life as a gift to receive. Then when you receive that by faith, God says, now serve me out of love and thankfulness and gratitude and reverence for who I am. Not to be saved, but because you are. What a difference between biblical Christianity and religion. And lastly, if you don't have a church home yet, there's a group of people in the Christian Life Center, just the opposite side of this hall, that are meeting for a discovery class. It follows a new members class. If you'd like to come forward today as a candidate for membership, we'd love to receive you. 
let that decision be made public. And, and we have a new members class starting up again pretty soon. Lots of things I've said, but God's already spoken to you. Because something here through the Holy Spirit connected to your heart. And you know it did. And God wants you to pray and do something about it. I'm asking you to stand. Terry's here to lead us. Please don't wait.